Hey Goblins, Brandon here. A couple quick announcements up top. First off, thanks everybody for being patient with us with the episode delay last week. Uh, this week is, of course, what was supposed to run last week, which is the uh, 2E Spelljammer discussion. And then a uh, week from today, we'll be putting out our discussion on Mordenkainen Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. Josh and I had a good, solid conversation about that. And then after that, we'll be back on the regular bi-weekly release schedule. Second announcement. Want to mention that Goblins and Growlers, Quid Pro Roll, Goblins and Growlers podcast is going to be at Queen City Anime Con this year, August 5th through 7th in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Sheraton Charlotte Hotel. Get your tickets, come say hey, hang out, uh, see some of the stuff we're doing. Last year when we were there, we uh, did a bunch of panels. We ran the tabletop room there. We did a Quid Pro Roll live show. Don't exactly know what all our programming is going to be this year, but we do know that we're going to be there and we're going to be running the tabletop room. Uh, vax mandatory and mask mandatory so just be aware of that but if you're in a reasonable driving distance of charlotte and you can free up a couple days toward the beginning of august there come say hey we'd love to see you so uh, i'm gonna jump right into it now our discussion of second edition spell jammer because i have an absurd amount of nostalgia for late 80s early 90s advanced dungeons and dragons properties enjoy It is the mightiest ship of space, overshadowing even the majestic elven armadas and the hulking dwarven citadels. Larger than many groundling cities, it moves at speed seemingly impossible for so huge a vessel, yet it maneuvers with the grace of ships one-tenth its size. It is overgrown with legends and the memories of a thousand races, and in its wake are the lives of entire planets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. I'm at Way of Brandalore on Instagram and Twitter, and my real name is Brandon Dingus. <laughs> <laughs> and today we are talking about Spelljammer 2E, the old school OG Spelljammer. Um, last episode we talked about among other things, the new 5e release for Spelljammer that we're both super excited about um, coming out uh, August 16th in three books with a big map and a cool DM screen. I'm pretty pumped about it, Josh. I know you expressed some degree of excitement about it. I'm, I'm definitely excited. I may not be quite as excited as you in part because Spelljammer as I understand it, came out the year I was born, so I didn't learn about it as a setting until well after I was into gaming and was already well-established in other realms. Mm -hmm. I was a, a, a bright and cheery nine-year-old boy when this came out in 1991. Uh, I have never played in a Spelljammer campaign or adventure just because none of my folks were playing that when I was playing D&D, probably I didn't start playing D&D probably till around 95, 96. Uh, and we were mainly a forgotten realms crew and I wasn't very experienced in it. So I just sort of went with the flow of whatever they were playing. And I didn't even really know what all else was out there. That's totally fair. Well, and you're also, you've got to, you got to go with the flow of what you've got. It's, it's really hard to tell your one and only group that you really want a setting change. Yeah. Yeah, that same uh, DM that I played with uh, then is now DMing a, a World of Darkness game uh, for me now. And he eventually grew very tired <laughs> of just playing D&D &D all the time. I was just, I was a few years ahead of him in terms of being tired of it, I think. <laughs> but now we're both 40-year-old men and <laughs> we're going to do what we want to do. I mean, honestly, impressive that you've managed to not only maintain that friendship, but that he's still DMing for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, the more impressive part is that he lives in uh, South Africa, and the other player in my group lives just outside Seattle. So <laughs> we're separated by like six, 7,000 miles, all told. God, I thought my game scheduling problems were bad. <laughs> yeah, because when... Uh, when he He's playing, it's a couple of hours before he's getting ready to go to bed on uh, Sunday night. And when the guy in Seattle is playing, 
it's probably about 10 in the morning when we start. So we have to take a break for <laughs> lunch for him. But the guy in South Africa eats dinner before we start. And I am sort of right in the middle. And I'm usually eating my lunch while we're playing. <laughs> wow. It's a nightmare. But anyways. Holy smokes. Anyways, Spelljammer, Spaceships, D&D. Um, so today we figured since last time we talked about the new Spelljammer, you know, we'd go back a little bit and talk a little bit about the history of the brand, because like we talked about last time, uh, Spelljammer really hasn't been around at all uh, in the last couple decades. It came out in 91. Hey, everybody. Present day Brandon here. Just want to point out I did misspeak. I know it came out in 1989. So ignore that. It was it had. Uh, you know, it was popular at the time. It had several releases uh, uh, in addition to the box set. Uh, there were a lot of additional accessories that came out for it. And then it just kind of um, faded away a little bit. And it never quite came back, even though it was one of those things that was always sort of in the back of old school players' minds. Uh, uh, it was sort of, like, uh, sort of like Dark Sun, basically. Um, and when you know then we went through third edition three and a half uh which became pathfinder and then fourth edition which a lot of people have mixed feelings about but uh, it sort of stuck very much to the traditional fantasy rails there uh, even eberron which tries to push that a little bit is still more or less uh i think uh a sort of a steampunk fantasy kind of situation essentially 4E definitely felt like an MMORPG, and I haven't seen, it's possible that I'm just missing them, but I haven't seen any really, really successful space MMORPGs. Yeah, I mean, like, there was Star Trek Online, I guess there's EVE Online. Um, Star Trek Online, much less popular, I think, than EVE Online. But um, that's like, that's very much traditional space sci-fi type stuff which spelljammer 100 percent is not uh like we talked about last time it is very much just pirates in space this is pirates of penzance with weird living ships and illithids and things like that i'm gonna get super pedantic for just a moment a lot of people refer to spelljammer and star wars as science fiction and I think I'm I'm coming around to the concept that these are not science fiction things. These are space fantasy things. That's 100% correct. They are absolutely space. Like, The Expanse is space science fiction. Star Wars is space fantasy. And Spelljammer yeah. very much is space fantasy. It was... Uh, the, the guy who designed or who created Spelljammer, his name was Jeff Grubb. He's about 64 years old now. Um, but he said he really, when he was pitching it, he really wanted to push the envelope of what D and D fantasy was. And he essentially gave it a cosmology. Um, you could argue that Planescape also gave, uh, D and D a cosmology where, you know, you could leave the prime material plane. Uh, and then jump to other planes that way. But Spelljammer did it in a way that united everything in the prime material plane, like rather essentially than stargating from one world to another through um, the the planes, you would just get on a ship and go there. Yeah, and that's the concept being that instead of jumping through a portal and changing what plane you're on altogether instead having it be different planets different solar systems that are all accessible because of the raritanium that in this case is called phlogiston which as i as i understand it and this is kind of amazing to me is an actual material that scientists once thought existed back back when we were like alchemically trying to turn copper into gold sort of deal yeah it's kind of an artifact of uh the time when we thought you know you were sick because your humors were out of balance your yellow bile and your black bile and all that stuff 
Um, but yeah, it, it very much sort of smacks of the alchemical tradition of science, which is like everything has an element in it. And Phlogiston was kind of the fire element. And that was carried through in the actual setting because the thing about Phlogiston, we touched on this a little bit in the last episode, but it is very flammable. Um, you have to you have to sail on it to travel these vast distances in your D&D spaceships, but if you light a match or something like that, it's all going to explode. It's all going to explode. There are a couple things, if you're unfamiliar, that you sort of just need to know as sort of a primer about how space travel in Spelljammer works. Number one, the ships are what you think of when you think of a Spanish galleon type thing. It is a wooden ship with a deck and people are standing on the deck. The thing is, in this setting, everything kind of has its own gravity. So when the ship goes out into space, people are still adhering to it through gravity. They're not flying off anywhere. Um, everything has its own air pocket around it. So whenever a ship departs a planet, it, it holds on to a pocket of air that can, on average, sustain people for like a few weeks to a couple months. Uh, before you have to, you know, essentially refuel your air, basically. Um, a lot of the ships are living ships. Um, the cosmology of Spelljammer, which I guess is the cosmology of second edition, really, since it spans all of it, is that star systems, planetary systems, exist within a crystal sphere, um, it's a little self-contained universe within each sphere, and that explains how different settings can coexist on the same material plane. Like Greyhawk is in its own sphere, uh, Forgotten Realms is in its own sphere, uh, and you can go back and forth between them. Um, it was in theory, Dark Sun and what was it, Mistara? Yeah, are in their own sphere. But also, they weren't really accessible in part because the creators of those settings were like, yeah, we don't we really don't want you to just have a quick and easy out of our gritty universe. That was part of it. Um, the, the dark like the Dark Sun creators were like, no, this is going to be <laughs> an awful dystopian setting. And we don't want you to be able to just get on a ship and leave. And it, like so it had partly to do with that. And also, according to Jeff Grubb, the creator of Spelljammer, it also had something to do with the fact that when Dark Sun was actually coming out, that's when they had sort of wound down development on Spelljammer. And he's like, yeah, we just didn't develop that out anymore. And Mistara used to be a standalone product. But then when it was folded into D&D canon, that was also when... Um, uh, Spelljammer had kind of run out of steam. Which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to incorporate these into Spelljammer if you want to. It's just not designed that way. But, but yeah, so you've got the Crystal Sphere. Everybody can sail around in it um, to do the different planets within that star system. And I think it, it's interesting because I think Forgotten Realms is a heliocentric uh, system, but I believe Greyhawk is geocentric. So the the actual planet for the setting of Greyhawk is at the center of that planetary system, whereas with Forgotten Realms, the sun uh, of that system is at the center. It's kind of neat. So it it mixes mixes up the Ptolemaic system of planets, geocentricity, and things like that. Um, I would not be surprised if someone has created some sort of flat Earth. Uh, homebrew setting uh, that you can access <laughs> through Spelljammer. I mean, it's it's a fantasy setting, like whatever you. Really oh, yeah, want exactly. It's to totally possible. Yeah, the flat Earth works perfectly in a fantasy setting, and it's supported by a <laughs> giant turtle. Hell yeah, turtles all the way down, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of the first stage of the primer of Spelljammer and how it works. It's basically just like. Okay, these are pirate ships in space. Just accept it. Here's some here's some very loose scientific explanation for why it works, but just accept it because it does. Here are these uh, sailing vessels that work in space. They're all living creatures. 
most of them are spawned off of one giant one that Brandon did a really great prologue with. Like that that vessel is described as so massive and so intimidating. I love it. I love it so much. Like it's just a flying capital city. Yeah, and so that's the other part that you need to know about the setting. And I'll be really interested to see how the 5E Spelljammer handles this because there's nothing to say they have to do it exactly the same way. Um, because, for example, it seems like they're doing the space aspect of Spelljammer a little bit differently than original Spelljammer. Um, they're talking about it being on the astral plane in 5E. In 2E, it's on the prime material plane, and that was the whole point of it. So they might be doing it a little differently. So who knows? Uh, but also... In original 2E Spelljammer, Spelljammer is the name of the setting. It's also the name of a ship. The Spelljammer is a proper noun, and it's this giant, like, miles-long city ship, essentially. It's some sort of living creature uh, that looks kind of like a cross between a manta ray and a scorpion. And on the back of it, it has, um, it has uh, a city on top of it. It has... Um, people that live on it and it's it's not it's kind of difficult to explain because it's not a it's not i guess sort of the best way that i've come up to think about it is sort of like farscape if anybody remembers farscape because in that show they had a living ship and the people the people lived and worked on it and they helped the ship, the ship helped them, but the ship had a really alien mind and you couldn't just talk to it. Um, you could get across feelings and impressions and things, but you were never just having a conversation with the ship. And it's kind of the same thing with the Spelljammer. It's a giant city ship that has a mind so alien that it's sort of unkennable, like you can't you just have to sort of get a feel for it. It, yeah, there is only one spell jammer in the universe at any time. Uh, it constantly, uh, I guess in cycles, is spawning itself, like spawning new spell jammers off of itself. They're called small jammers. And think of that like, sort of like queen bees, because um, multiple like if a queen dies, one of the females, uh, like one of the female workers, uh, will take some like royal jelly, like, and a chemical reaction will ensue and they will then become, their body will transmogrify essentially into the new queen of the hive. And so if the adult spell jammer dies at any point, one of the small jammers that it spawned will grow into the new spell jammer. Cause like, like I said, there can only be one spell jammer at a time. Um, so then thing three is in order for the spell jammer to procreate like that, it has to have a captain, but that's not because the captain provides any kind of uh, like genetic material for this it's because the captain is more like a cog in the reproductive system. Like the ship has to have some sort of mental connection with the captain before it can spawn. And a spell jammer can have many captains over the years. Um, and they, it's, it's almost sort of like a mentally symbiotic situation. And um, another thing about the ship is, like I said, it has people living and working on it because there's a city on its back, but it, sort of controls people like in a way not um in really a mean or uh controlling way i guess well i mean it is a controlling way not in any kind of nefarious way i guess it within its pocket of air it exudes a scent uh and the scent gives people the instinct the people who live on it the instinctual reaction to defend the ship to defend the spell jammer if it's ever under attack and it's not because they feel any kind of like loyalty or love for it that's just what their instinct is they like 
they could see their best friend coming at them, attacking the ship, and they would still attack them to defend the ship. So it's a real weird symbiosis. Um, you know, the, the Spelljammer has... Uh, the legends talk about the city that's built on the back of it, their castles, um, parapets, all kinds of stuff. It's just, it's just a huge city. And one of the interesting things about the 2E box set that came out is it has a whole book that is basically a huge dungeon map for the Spelljammer, which is really neat. And that was just, I just talked a lot there about this. <laughs> uh, kind of going back on a couple of the things you were saying, my understanding was that the air almost works like a charm person spell where they see the Spelljammer as their very close friend, as a, as a very close companion to them. Uh, they may even come to love the Spelljammer, and that's why they defend it, is because it, it means so much to them as individuals. So, I'm you know, personally, the only comparison I can think of is people who live in New York. Um, they get really excited about New York. They want to protect New York from people outside of it. They might have their own gripes with it, but if you come into New York talking smack about New York, they're like, no. New York is the greatest city on the planet. It's like that guy I will fight you. It's like that guy that attacked the Green Goblin because he was messing with Spider-Man. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, another thing that occurred to me as you were talking about how the consciousness of the Spelljammer cannot be perceived by mortal minds is that, and I have to imagine somebody's done this already, Hopefully the Spelljammer is in the new set so that we can see lots of people doing this in the future. But doesn't that mean that given how powerful the Spelljammer is, given how large the Spelljammer is, given how uh, imperceptibly like minded the Spelljammer is, you could have a warlock of the old gods whose patron is the Spelljammer? It's your world, Josh. Because <laughs> that sounds amazing. I I mean, I can't think of anything immediately that would prevent that from happening, but I <laughs> tend not to care so much about rules as written. So, well, that's fair. Uh, God, I love the concept of that so much. Just somebody being like, yes, my patron is the ship I'm currently on. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I want to talk a little bit about the creation of this. Cause like I said, it was created by this guy, Jeff Grubb, who um, did uh, work for, he did a lot of work for TSR at the time. He was a writer who worked on uh, Dragonlands, Forgotten Realm settings. Uh, he designed the Marvel superhero system uh, for, for them. And that was actually based on a game that he had created when he was in college. And he created the Al-Kadim setting. Uh, which some people may or may not remember. And if they remember it, they may or may not remember it sort of retrospectively as being problematic because it was based on the Middle East and it was supposed to be its own setting, but it ended up getting located in sort of the south of the Forgotten Realms. Um, I believe that Jeff started working for uh, TSR because he was involved in some of the early conventions um, and he ran some of the gaming operations there and that was sort of his foot in the door and that's how he got on there as a writer and everything like that um uh, i'm gonna read the um wikipedia entry for uh spelljammer it says like the planescape setting spelljammer unifies most of the other ad and d settings and provides a canonical method for allowing characters from one setting such as dragonlance to travel to another, such as the Forgotten Realms. However, unlike Planescape, it keeps all the action on the Prime Material Plane and uses the Crystal Spheres and the Phlogiston between them to form natural barriers between otherwise incompatible settings. Though the cosmology is derived largely from the Ptolemaic system of astronomy, many ideas owe much to the works of Jules Verne and his contemporaries, and to related games and fiction with a steampunk or planetary romance favor, a strong Age of Sail flavor is also present. Um... It's it's definitely clear looking at the system, looking at how everything's set up, looking at the art that Jeff Grubb really enjoyed space as a setting and then sat down to write for TSR and specifically on the 2E system and was like, but what if what if it were space, though? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and uh, he said he was heavily influenced by uh, stuff like Errol Flynn and the Master and Commander series, which a lot of people nowadays probably know best from the Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany movie that came out, I feel like, 20 years ago, maybe? I don't remember. It feels like it was a long time. Yeah. I don't know for sure. But there's like six books in that series, and they only made a movie of the first one. Uh, but he said, but he, apparently he was a real big fan of the books, so that was a huge influence on him for this. Uh, after uh, Wizards of the Coast bought TSR, um, he ended up uh, doing other work for them, uh, like working on the Star Wars role-playing game that they produced for a while. Not your beloved Fantasy Flight game with the it's hilarious dice pool <laughs> no you're talking about the d20 star wars system yeah. i know i know the system yeah i actually i played I'm that familiar. system a few times um but you know he so he was inspired by nautical and pirate books blah, blah 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 uh funny funny bit of trivia when i was uh doing a little bit of research on this uh so jeff grubb pitched Spelljammer because apparently there was a big writers meeting at tsr where they were trying to pitch to the higher ups like what are some new things we can do what are some different things we can do and so he pitched Spelljammer, and everybody's like that's great uh this is fantastic but they almost gave it to zeb cook to write instead of jeff grubb the man who pitched it actually and zeb cook uh people probably know most well as the creator of planescape uh but he also wrote a lot of weird stuff like that one we talked about last year uh with the giant robot that is running around earth shaker yeah, earth shaker and he he didn't he write conan unchained that we talked about uh a few weeks ago yes. yeah 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 because yes, we Zeb were cook is popping up everywhere because we were sitting there thinking like what must he have felt when it came across his desk here write like a 40 page book based on this arnold schwarzenegger movie <laughs> I can almost guarantee that Zeb Cook would have been more excited to work on Spelljammer than he was to work on Conan Unchained. Probably. Um, <laughs> so TSR hated the name Spelljammer because they thought it would be difficult to sell. So they uh, they tried to come up with other names, but nothing nothing proved to be any better than Spelljammer. So they just stuck with it. And I'm glad they did because it, it's completely nonsensical. It, you know, it's the name of the ship. Like to spell jam is also essentially a synonym for, you know, to sail in space within the setting. So it can mean a lot of things. It also like spell jam and spell jammer as like a word that just like evokes things inside your own head. It sounds pretty cool. It does. It, cool in a gnar gnarly sort of way very radical like hell yeah man you guys want to go out and do some spell jamming let's go <laughs> and just for another bit of trivia you know one of the things that's uh, associated a lot with spell jammer is the giant space hamster so that came about because when they were experimenting with ship designs they had like a gnomish ship that had sort of a like a, a paddle wheel design on the side of it and somebody made a joke about that being the space hamster the giant space hamster wheel and that's what moves it along and so and they that's where that came ahead from and made it canon yeah so that's where it came from but when when we knew we were going to be talking about this i was like man i really wish i had more lead up time because i would love to reach out to jeff grubb and see if there was a way we could talk to him and I just I, I just didn't have time. I didn't have time to prepare any questions. I didn't have time to reach out to him and sort of do the whole song and dance of trying to either get him to talk to us, come on the podcast, or maybe respond to an email or something like that. But it turns out I didn't have to because somebody else did that heavy lifting for me because I found a recent interview like within the last couple of weeks uh, on a uh, YouTube channel called Harbs Narbs that I had never heard of before. But uh, I will put a link in the show notes on this. But the um, owner of the channel uh, emailed some questions to Jeff Grubb, uh, you know, related to the fact that the new 5e Spelljammer is coming out. And he actually got some really cool responses, um, like his thoughts on the, the fifth edition version of it and everything. And uh, I'm just going to read some of his quotes 
that I snipped out of the interview because I I, th- I think it's just really interesting to get the perspective of the creator of this franchise talking about the new one that's coming out. He says, as much as I love it and how it turned out talking about the second edition Spelljammer, he's Spelljammer is a niche genre compared to the traditional fantasy of fantasy of uh, Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, Greyhawk. Wizards of the Coast has shown the ability to address old standing favorites like Eberron uh, with new worlds like Critical Role, etc. And I've been told they are old school fans as well. And occasionally they would let something drop like a Spelljammer in the Dungeon of the Mad Mage or introducing the GIF and everyone would get all wound up and then Wizards of the Coast would go off and do something else. I think they like teasing people like that. And I think he's a hundred percent right. <laughs> like, like when they in that Travelers of the Multiverse um, unearthed Arcana that came out, where it was basically like Spelljammer creature, Spelljammer creature, Spelljammer creature, Spelljammer creature, Thrycreen, ah, ah. Because at that point they like they knew that we knew that they were telling us that Spelljammer was coming out, but they're teasing us with that Thrycreen. Like, does that mean the Dark Sun's coming out? So I think he's 100% right about that. And and that was October of last year. Yeah. So seven months later, we're talking about this. Mm -hmm. And then he says, I hope they're planning to take it in a different direction. It's been almost 35 years since Spelljammer came out. And game design, storytelling, world building have all evolved since then. Wizards of the Coast has been bringing the traditional canon and uh, and continuity to meet its current needs. Uh, And I support it. He said he really enjoyed the Nautiloid in Baldur's Gate three in the Baldur's Gate three cinematic, where um, they sort of updated the design. And the Nautiloid is the um, it's the sort of conch shell kind of shaped ship that the Illithids uh, use, and it had like battering ram spikes and stuff on it. And they in the Baldur's Gate three edition, they converted it to. Um, to like uh, tentacles basically so it felt more illithidy basically and i thought that was really cool and then uh we mentioned this how he was not involved in the new spell jammer for 5e that came out he says it's amusing for me that they did not bring me in on this but i'm not offended by it i'm involved with my own stuff mostly building new worlds for computer companies these days i'm currently working for tempo games or making the bazaar Still, I live on a hill overlooking Wizards of the Coast headquarters. I know a lot of the now senior design staff, and it isn't like they couldn't have called and set up a lunch at a local teriyaki joint. So I feel like he is he's not mad about it, but also like, really? It is kind of funny to think about Wizards of the Coast being like, all right. What's uh what's something we want to work on? Well, you know what? Like a lot of people have been talking about Spelljammer. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. There's a lot of ways in which we can expand the universe. Yeah, let's start working on Spelljammer. Who uh who originally worked on Spelljammer? Oh, uh oh, let's see. Check my notes. Check my notes. That was Jeff Grubb. Uh yeah, whatever happened to him? Well, he's still doing some stuff. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> I think he has a really pragmatic view of it too. Cause he finishes up by saying honest, but honestly, this is a no lose situation for me personally. If it comes out and it does well, it's because our original team provided a strong foundation for the campaign setting. If it comes out and doesn't do so well, people will talk about how cool the original spell jammer was, but I really want them to do well. <laughs> I mean, I imagine there's something to be said for, even though he doesn't really have hands on the franchise anymore, even though this baby has long since left home. You know, he still gets a lot of joy out of seeing his creation out and about and performing in the real world. And I can only imagine that if Spelljammer takes off and does really well in 5e, that that's going to result in him getting some even greater credibility for what he created originally, because a lot of people are going to be looking up like, where did they get this crazy idea from? Funny, funny thing I discovered when I was trying to look for some ways to contact Jeff Grubb before I just realized I wasn't going to have time to do it. Um, there is another guy on Twitter who has the at Jeff Grubb handle. And I'm guessing that I'm not the first person that stumbled onto it uh, looking for a different person. Because in this guy's bio on Twitter, it just says, I'm not 64. 
Sorry, buddy. <laughs> oh, dang. Yeah. But uh, the, you know, the 2E Spelljammer came out in sort of my golden era of the 90s of the box sets for settings. And it had uh, three books that came with it. Uh, it had uh, maps, uh, things like that. The first book that it had was uh, Myths and Legends, which is really cool. Uh, it's Legend of Spelljammer, uh, Legends and More. And it's cool because it's just nothing but backstory, essentially. Uh, the first, like, I feel like 15, 20 pages are just legends of the Spelljammer. Um, it, uh, let's see. Yeah, it's like it's actually more like seven or eight pages, but it feels like a lot more because it's written in kind of this epistolary style where it's just excerpts from diaries, uh, ancient uh, chronicles of things uh, just throughout the centuries and millennia of just stories about the Spelljammer. And it goes from stuff like, oh, it's just a hoax. Another person says it's dead. I saw it destroyed. And uh, somebody talks about just how it was such a magical and majestic uh, site. So it's got all this really good world building in here to give you different perspectives on it. So you can build your uh, like the kind of uh, perception that your party might have for it, depending on where they're from, or at least give them the information for that. And it just sets up a lot of different perspectives for it, which I think is interesting because you got to figure that so many people inhabiting the universe will never have left their planet and they would just be ignorant of everything that was going on uh, in the wider universe, especially with the spell jammer. So maybe it's a God to some people. Uh, maybe it's something that a spacefaring civilization hunts. Uh, there's just all kinds of really cool stories and ideas in these little like, six to eight paragraph snippets from from the legends i love so much the concept that there is this huge ship that is self-replicating that is just floating around in the ether somewhere and every now and then some poor group of individuals is like looking up at the sky and they're like what the hell is that and it's a city it is a flying city on the back of what is basically a manta ray from below. And they just have to be like, what? And then it just, you know, keeps cruising on. And then there's a setting, or not a setting, then there's a section that basically says, okay, so those were all the myths about the Spelljammer. Here is the objective reality of it for you as the DM. So you can uh, help guide this story. And it talks about, all the different stuff, like uh, its size, its tonnage, the crew, like the crew complement, how it needs a captain, how it seduces people into defending it, um, how it reproduces and everything. And it, it, it's it's a nice little peek behind the curtain kind of thing because as the DM, you need to know that stuff. And it uh, talks about its uh, artillery, its armor, all this stuff you're going to need to have. And then it goes into the combat. And uh, I know you have a really great, uh, you have a favorite quote about the the combat from this, from uh, James Wallace that you were talking about. Oh, yeah. So we, as we were trying to find more information about this, we, of course, read through the Wikipedia article. And the Wikipedia article has a whole section that just says reception. And one of the, one of the reviews that they've got listed there is James Wallace uh, not being a fan of the initial release and saying, I find the inconsistencies in the combat rules to make space combat unplayable, basically. And uh, he finds the background imaginative and consistent, uh, but unfortunately there is little of it. And then finally, it's like this is all it's all disorganized to the point of disarray and confusion and then it's really only for the AD&D players who enjoy stripping tasty ideas from the carcasses of dying games <laughs> and I'm like dang dude tell us how you really feel I cannot recommend it to anyone else <laughs> 
and this was in the January 1990 edition of Games International. Um, and you can read it down at the bottom of the Spelljammer Wikipedia page. Uh, but yeah, I can't really speak to the combat system because like I said, I've never actually like played in a game of this. What I can say though, is I almost without exception hate any kind of uh, ship combat systems because they always seem very wonky uh, and overly done. Uh, and I guess it's, I guess that's a way of separating it a little bit from in-person combat, but it just often feels, I don't want to say hacky and I don't want to say hokey. I'm trying to find a nicer word that doesn't connote that kind of feeling, but just like a little, yeah, gimmicky, like a little much. A little much. So, if I... Uh, sight unseen, I can probably understand where James Wallace is coming from because it's very difficult to do... It's very difficult to do nautical combat in a two-dimension... Essentially a two-dimensional plane. Doing space nautical combat in three dimensions, uh, you run into the Star Trek II problem where Khan is a brilliant strategist, but because of his because of his upbringing not in space he thinks very two-dimensionally i will say uh i've seen nautical combat done well and i've seen it done effectively in systems like 5e um uh, just a quick plug for the pirates of the adirondack book that was written by michael who is one of our community members and uh, you can do it. You can do it well, but the trick is to keep it simple because the more you add to it and the more complex it gets, the easier it is to see the holes in what you've written. Where if you keep it really simple and you keep it very broad, then people know that they're filling in those gaps, but they also expect to be filling in those gaps a little bit and making judgment calls for themselves in those moments. And I think that's the really key thing. Because if you're trying to do a 3D space combat simulator, you may as well be playing the X-Wing board game, my man. Like, come on. You may as well be playing X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. Also a solid choice. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's the first book, The Legends and More. And it's sort of your, essentially your PHB for for this because it gives all the background for the spell jammer it talks about the special kinds of combat for it and it uh goes into a couple of other things talking about like the life cycle of the ship and everything really everything you need to do to set it up the next book is uh, also really cool and it's called captains and ships and try and guess what's in it but it's got a bunch of stat blocks and pictures for the different ships uh in the shipyard section like it's got like a small jammer, uh, different ships from different kinds of crews. It's got a battle dolphin, uh, which is just a wild thing. Uh, it's got a cuddle command. Uh, everything is very nautical, nautically themed. It's really cool. Uh, the illithid ships like the dreadnought and the octopus. Uh, and then uh, it's, it's got descriptions of all of them. It's got stat blocks for them. It's got pictures for a lot of them. And after that, it gets into captains. And really, this is like personalities. And it's just tons of NPCs, tons of them with this kind of space flavor. And it's got uh, stat blocks for them. Okay, but where where is the section where they talk about the romantic entanglements of all of these captains? I presume with each other, because that's when we started talking about ships. That's really what I was here for. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. But there's some fantastic illustrations in here, and uh, again, this sort of speaks to my D and D nostalgia. Just the black and white illustrate, like line art illustrations, rather than like the full color stuff. I it just. It, it hits a really, really strong string of nostalgia with me to see like accessory interiors like this because it's what I remember from growing up. I don't think it's 
I don't think anything that's out now is like worse. And I would never say we shouldn't be doing it that way. But this just makes me feel warm inside seeing stuff like this. Like a pig of that a military decorated gift. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a hippop- an anthropomorphic hippopotamus in an admiral's uniform uh, in black and white. <laughs> it's just fantastic. It's fantastic. And then another thing that uh, the Captains and Ships has is it has a little adventure in it, too, that you can run. Uh, so that's that's another bonus there. So essentially, like the 5e Spelljammer, um, it it's taken what was in these two books for the 2e Spelljammer and split them up into three books, essentially. Because the last thing that comes in the 2e book is called the Grand Tour. And it is essentially just a giant ass dungeon map of the Spelljammer. Like it's just page after page of it. It's let's see. I'm scanning through to find the page count for it. I want to say it was like at least 20 or 30. Pages. It's like 60 pages. Excuse me. It was 60 pages. God, because it's a giant dungeon map and it's, it just shows all the interior. It, it's got multiple maps. It's got fold out maps. It's got the, they're separate uh, maps that go with it. Like the old poster size maps that would come with these. Uh, and it has descriptions of all the, all the different rooms and everything. It's not an adventure. It just tells you where everything is and describes it and what's in there. It is one of the most in-depth dungeon maps I've seen in a long time. And it's, it's really cool. Like there's a huge, there's a huge map in here uh, and it's got a bunch of pathways on it and, and tons of them. And then it says only major passages shown. So there could be whole <laughs> other layers of these different passages in here. Um, it's, I, it's so worth I reading. Say, when we were initially starting to talk about Spelljammer and I was starting to look at some of the art and things like that, I hadn't realized that Spelljammer is a hollow vessel as well. I thought that the city on the back and the like parapets and castles and all of that, I thought that was the extent of the travelable space. And I was like, oh, I guess you could have adventures in like these buildings and things like that. This isn't quite as much space as I was thinking it was. Finding out that there's whole hallways that run through the creature is like what the hell what the hell yeah this is i mean this is fantastic there's a like gardens in it and that's a key part of the spell jammer reproduction cycle uh like the small jammers come from the garden uh I, i mean it's great like this i recommend anybody who's even the least bit interested in this system ahead of the 5e product coming out, pick up the 2e product. I bought a copy of it on drive through RPG. Uh, it was, it's for sale on there. You can get a PDF version and you can also get a print version of it. Um, it's kind of like I bought a dark sun reprint a while back and it's everything that was in the original dark sun, um, box set, but it's all bound in a, in a thick hardback book. It's this, it's the same thing essentially, but I bought the physical book and the PDF combo and it was like $24. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent recommend it. Just it's, it's a great piece of nostalgia and history for the hobby, if nothing else, because it was at the time it was just such an out there setting. Uh, and for it to get such a high profile release, uh, kind of untested almost, I think is really, really cool. Well, and I can almost guarantee that the content that's in the 2E release is not going to all be rehashed in the 5E release. So a lot of that stuff, the concepts, the art, maybe some of the dungeon maps even, you could reuse all of that in modern day without any adjustment needed. And if you're willing to do the work, you could use everything in the book. You just need to do some rules adjustment for it. Yeah, yeah, because like the Grand Tour the dungeon map for the Spelljammer. I mean, it's basically just uh, a flavor setting book, more or less. There are some stats here and there, but there's no reason why you couldn't run this as almost a system-neutral adventure. Well, and as we were talking about on the last episode, 
They made it pretty clear that they're not using the Spelljammer as their campaign hub in this new 5e edition. They're using the, what was it, the Great Rock of Thrall? So, you know, you can assume that there will be a little bit less focus on the Spelljammer itself. There certainly isn't going to be 64 pages of focus on the Spelljammer because that's literally the whole size of the other books mm -hmm. that are coming out. Yeah. So, yeah, this, if, you know, I would say one of two things. Get this so you can read through it to sort of get, get yourself hyped for the 5e release. Or when you get the 5e book, uh, the books rather, and you're like, oh, wow, this is cool. Then go back and get this because it's such a nice little piece of gaming history, especially if you're really digging the setting in 5e. It's totally worth it. And 24 bucks is super not bad at all. Yeah, and if you just want to get the PDF, I think it was like 10 bucks. But I like to have physical copies because I put them on my shelf with everything else. I can dig it. Yeah. I can dig it. Uh, and one, one other thing I want to mention, and I found this funny, is when I uh, was reading through the book, uh, the page that lists you know who did what and everything, it said the cartography was done by Diesel. No first name, no last name, just Diesel. So that leads me to conclude that Spelljammer is all about family. I feel like with that, I'm going to go ahead and say that my name is Josh Mulvaney. You can find me at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. I'm telling you, there's you're going to be able to find a Spelljammer that looks like a car, and it's going to have Ludacris and Tyrese <laughs> inside it. Oh, no. Yeah, and meanwhile, I am uh, Brandon at Way of Brandalore uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and apparently Mastodon. Uh, if you want to talk to us, join the Discord, bit.ly slash goblin discord. You can also shoot us an email at contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com. Josh, what else can people do to help us out? I mean, if people want to support us, they can go to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers and sign up at any level because really everything matters when you are a business as small as ours. Um, you can check out the merchandise that we have up for sale. If you're Richmond local, you can walk into Alpha Comics and Games, conveniently located in Willow Lawn, Richmond, Virginia. And we have a whole section of merchandise there, which is kind of a cool thing to think about. And then additionally, if you don't have money to throw around and you're like, but I am very poor and I would still like to support you guys, tell a friend, tell all your friends, drop us a review so that other people can find us. You know, uh, specifically five stars. Ways. Yes, ideally five stars. If you want to send four star reviews, the best way to do that is to email us about <laughs> uh, what we're missing and not to put that on any of the podcatchers that you might use. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, um, <laughs> t telephone, telegraph, tell a friend, um, uh, put some flyers up at your local community college about it. Uh <laughs> Try to slip slip five bucks to your uh, friendly local game store shopkeep and ask them to play the podcast on the in-store speakers. That would be awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, just don't hassle them when they say no. Let it let it go. <laughs> uh, but It's not worth the pain. No. We'll be back in a couple weeks, but uh, we hope to see you all on the Discord, and we look forward to some messages from you. 